Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's 6 in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by QB11. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing good, Doug. A little tired. Got up really early this morning to get on my flight back to uh, Phoenix, but things are good. Yeah, it was how, uh, sad. How are you? To... How rude of me not to ask. How are uh, you doing, Doug? Oh, I am doing well, thank you. I was a little sad not to be able to meet up with you yesterday. I know you had a lot going on before the game and after the game and whatnot. So, but it was—I'm uh, sure it was nice to come and watch another Ducks victory, thirty-eight to twenty-four over the Cougs. Um, had the cover until uh, kind of that backdoor touchdown late by Washington State in that game, but uh, still a pretty, pretty convincing Oregon win after a somewhat slow start, which I think we both missed on in our in our prediction show to this game. We both thought Oregon would come out kind of fired up and ready to play. And, I don't know that they weren't ready to play, but they they didn't execute well in that in that first quarter on offense, particularly as soon as they let a couple of possessions get away from them early. Uh, but it, I never really felt worried. I never really felt like the team wasn't in control, and it was just a matter of okay, they're gonna they're gonna flip the switch, and that kind of happened late first, early second, and the game was never in my mind the game never really felt in doubt. No, no, I mean there was it was a little frustrating at first, but. I think the team got things sorted. But before we get to that, sounds like I'm the one that missed out. So did, did you not have a celebrity guest at the at the tailgate? Yes. Uh, well, he wasn't at our tailgate, but he was at a nearby tailgate. So we got to meet and say hi to uh, the machine, Bert Bert Kreicher. So he did have a shirt on. Um, I asked him about that. He said it was a little cold to be shirtless. So um, he was very very. Um, I didn't. Actually, I'm not a selfie guy. That? I did. I, I, I'm not a selfie guy. So there was a line of people that kept like rotating through getting selfies with them one after one after one. And I just kind of walked up and I said, I'm not going to bother you for a selfie. Just give a, gave him a fist bump. And I said, I think this is the first time I've seen you without a shirt on. And he kind of chuckled and said it was pretty cold. So was he wearing nice duck gear? He was, he did have some duck gear on his daughter apparently goes to the UVO. So, uh, Oh, no way. That's cool. That, yeah. 
I think that was the connection. All right, so that, least, so that, yeah. that won't be my only chance to meet the machine. Uh, apparently not. Maybe maybe he'll be there for USC. I would think so. Well, I think he was also – I heard he, he was in Portland or somewhere for a concert, so he may that may have been the, the why he was here. He's, he's genuinely hilarious. Him and Tom Segura's podcast cracks me up. Um, yeah. But, but enough on that, more on the game. Uh, agree with you on basically all parts. It, it was a frustrating game in the, in the first quarter. Um, and, like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of giving up that late late touchdown. But at that point, the game's over. Um, you're really just trying to get reps to young guys. Um, I'm not going to, like, cry over spoiled milk with that. Uh, but it was, it was interesting. It was, like, it was almost as if in the second quarter – Oregon found the key to the door. Like, like the door was locked. Now, and this is specifically in reference to the run game. Um, but then Oregon found the key to the door and like, oh, yeah, hey, if we unlock the door, it's a lot easier to open it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, everything on the ground worked the rest of the game. Uh, it, it wasn't the most dominant performance Oregon's had this season, but it was a very good performance against what I think is a pretty, like, competent team. Uh, and as is always the case, like Oregon got Cam Ward's best. Uh, and, and when he's playing his best, he's really annoying to play against. He escapes a lot of pressure. Uh, good players miss tackles on him in the backfield. And then he's pretty lethal when he escapes the pocket, both with his legs and then throwing the ball downfield. So all things considered, like I thought this was a pretty clean victory. Um, I would have preferred that we came out a little bit hotter executing in the red zone, but it's not like the offense wasn't moving the ball between the twenties. It was just, we got a little cute in the red zone. Some of that was play calling. Some of that was execution. Some of it was penalties. Regardless, once yeah. we got out of our own way, Oregon didn't have any hard, didn't have a hard time scoring at all in this game. Yeah, I mean, the pen, you look at the first couple drives, right? Oregon kind of was moving the ball pretty well. Then you know, um, has a big play to Franklin for thirty-four yards for a first down, called back for holding, um, and then you know, they end up missing a long field goal on that drive. And then second drive of the game, they gen, you know move the ball all the way inside the ten, have to settle for a field goal, um, and then finally third drive, you know they move the ball a little bit, then punt. Uh, that was the drive where that was probably the most frustrating one to me because it felt like. Um, I don't know. I just felt like, like, just, it felt like we were trying to get too cute. Like there was a lot of, we, we dialed up a lot of uh, trick plays early in this game. And, and I was like, why are we, why are we doing this against Washington state? Like, can we just like go play our offense? And, and then it kind of feels like after that we did, and it was like touchdown, touchdown. Uh, we did open the the third quarter with a punt, but then two more touchdowns in a row or three more touchdowns in a row. And then it was, of course, just game over after that point. So uh, middle of the game, Oregon was was very dominant and, and obviously built that 38 to 16 lead. And then it was just like, OK, yeah, let's get this thing over with and go home. Yeah, I was never even a little bit concerned that we were going to lose the game. Um, and and frankly, like I, I was pretty pleased overall with a lot of aspects of this game. I thought the offensive line played one of its best games of the season. Um, and that's not an easy front to play against. Not that it's the biggest or most physical uh, front on the interior of the defensive line that, that Oregon um, has seen or will see this season, but they're really fast uh, and they, and they move a lot. So whether it's stunting or stemming pre-snap um, getting guys on slants, like they, they do a really good job of creating movement. And it seems that like Jake Dickert and that defensive staff always know which direction to slant, no matter who they're playing. Um, 
and that's difficult to deal with and requires good communication. You have to be really clean when you're running zone concepts on your combo blocks. Um, and I thought that for the most part, like even while rotating several different players in the interior of the offensive line, Oregon played a Oregon played really good football um, up front, uh, both in pass pro against good edge rushers in Jackson Stone, uh, and then in the run game across the board, uh, really creating a lot of push and, and, and creating big lanes for the backs. Yeah, I, I agree. The offensive line and the running backs, I think, were the story of this game, particularly the offensive line. And, I mean, obviously, Bucky and Jordan both had incredible stat lines. But, yeah, I mean, the, the line was just incredible. The, the starters and Poncho um, just open holes all night. I, I, the tight end, by, by the way, we got to give the tight ends and, and some of the receivers some credit, too. I thought, uh, you know, Kenyon Sadiq is recorded as having one snap in this entire game. It was a goal line play. Uh, it was the it, it was the bow touchdown the, where Bo pulled it and ran in, and he's he's got his guy just one on one out in space and just drives him five yards down the field to open a massive hole for Bo to walk into the end zone. So credit to Kenyon for making the most of his his time as a true freshman, and obviously he was a guy who came in like not as a, expected to be you know kind of a blocker in the running game, and and that was an that was a really nice rep from him. We saw offensive linemen and tight ends getting downfield as well. Pat Herbert on that one, uh, Bucky catch and run touchdown, just blows up number eight on Washington State, who was, I don't know, like staring in the stands looking for a friend or something. I don't know what he was doing in that play. Kind of felt bad for the guy, but, uh, you know, Herbert came all the way from the other side to, to make that block on that touchdown. Yeah, I like to see us simplifying things in the red zone offensively at different points in the game too. Um, like doing some stuff out of eye formation, um, really like just like attacking downhill in those situations instead of trying to go lateral. Cause I, I just, I, I think that a lot of teams make the, make the mistake of getting too cute and trying to play laterally on the goal line. Um, and it was good to see Bo's legs be involved. It was good to see a mixture of formations and personnel groups, but it was also good to see us get a player like Sadiq on the field because as he proved yesterday along, I mean, Herbert and Ferguson have been blocking really well all year, but as Sadiq proved yesterday, we have a third guy who's competent, but he's also a, a very unique matchup. Um, and with that, I think that there's going to be an expansion of his role in those situations. And I think that there's going to be a lot of different counters that you could play off of uh, off of that bow run yesterday uh, for the rest of the year in those situations, just because he's such a good athlete. Like you could, if you want to go horizontal, you can with that same action, you can hand it off to him. And run and run the tight end uh, fly sweep, uh, but there's things you could do in the passing game as well. And and a, if he continues to block at a high level, you're still getting um, an, another quality large body blocker on the field. So uh, really, just in general, proud of the way that Sadiq played. Again, minimal snaps, but when you're seeing a guy who is really known for being a strong athlete, for being really like explosive and and, and a good good mover and someone who can play in space with the ball play without the ball with physicality. Um, that's, that's a really good sign of a player that's buying into the program, but also like has, has the want to be physical because in my opinion, physicality is as much about uh, a, a willingness and a desire to be as it is a physical talent. Um, and, and so seeing Sadiq step up in that way, um, Herbert's been fantastic all year. Ferguson um, has been good as well. So just just nice to see that there's different ways for this offense to win, both in the run game and the pass game with that tight end group. 
Yeah, and I thought Ferguson had one of his better receiving games of the year. You know, I think he had three or four catches for you know fifty yards or so. But I, they used him over the middle of the field a little bit more in this game, couple couple times this game, which is something we had been talking about. You know, where where Oregon hadn't really been using the middle of, middle of the field as much. So that was nice to see. I mean, Oregon just continues to be incredibly balanced on offense as they have been all year and really all the last two years. Two hundred ninety three yards through the air, two hundred forty eight on the ground. Uh, I mean, it's pretty. I think those are both of those numbers are very close in line with their season averages at both. But they only ran 57 plays in this game. They have 541 yards. They averaged nine and a half yards per play. Nine and a half per play. The only thing this offense is, is really the, the only real nitpick you can have right now is dry finishing, right? Like they're, they're moving the ball incredibly well. And it just feels like they either, you know, stub their toe. Uh, with some execution issues or or some penalty issues at times, but other than that, I mean, it's just I would hate to be a defensive coordinator trying to stop this offense because it feels like well, they got every 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 avenue is open for them. I got a couple of thoughts. One of them is in relation to this game. I think that Oregon could have had 500 yards of offense either only throwing or only running the ball in this game. Genuinely, like it sounds hyperbolic, but it's like really the truth. Like I don't think that there was anything. Um, that Wazoo could really do to stop either one of those things. And so the fact that they were able to be balanced is what caused great efficiency, but it also caused a lot of explosiveness. Um, and as much as I, I think having the ability to be efficient on offense and drive um, and win in different ways is important, Like it also puts a lot of emphasis on your execution. So if you don't execute at a particularly high level, um, it becomes a lot more difficult to score points. And that's when you see like Oregon, oh, Oregon's playing really well on 80% of snaps, but they're not executing on 20% of snaps in the red zone or they're, or, or, or drives are stalling in certain situations. That's why being explosive, explosive is important so that you don't have to be consistently fantastic with your uh, execution and efficiency all the time. Um, and so I think that like, Finding a nice mixture, I, there's nothing wrong with being efficient offensively. There's nothing wrong with staying ahead of the chains. Uh, but if Oregon can step up its explosiveness like it did in this game going forward, I think that's going to be something that just allows the offense to be more reliable. Um, because, again, just playing strictly an efficiency game um, at all times is is like really hard to do with 18 to 22-year-olds. Yeah, I was just going through real quick, and I'm counting um, at least eight plays over 30 yards. <laughs> over yeah. 30. Uh, you know, actually, there's nine. So uh, that's uh, that's extremely explosive. I think, I, you know, and I, I kind of tweeted about this earlier today, too, because I think there's been, you know, we've seen this some, and, and I think there's been some criticism with a lot of Duck fans that, you know, Oregon's offense hasn't been explosive enough this year. And I think when people say that, what they're what they really mean or what they're really thinking is you're not seeing you know the ball travel 40 yards through the air all that often which you know may or maybe maybe true to a degree but you know at the end of the day if you get a 30 yard gain or a 40 yard gain or a 50 yard gain or 25 yard gain that's an explosive play whether it came in the running game or whether it came on a screen and run or whether it came on a on a slant and go you know like it at the end of the day the, the effect is the same um, largely, right? The, the net impact of the play. And Oregon is actually top 10 in the country in plays over 20 yards and plays over 30 yards. So it's not like they're they're not 
consistently been getting big plays all year long. It's just maybe not in the way that people are thinking or looking for or whatever. But but I, Oregon has an extremely explosive running game for sure. One probably the most explosive running game in the country. Yeah, one of the most. I think I think it's particularly in the passing game, and it's not just getting thirty yard chunks; it's getting in the end zone on those chunks, um, so that you don't have to always be a great execution team in the red zone, right? Like, you know what the best red zone offense is? Is not having to run plays in the red zone, but just scoring. Uh, yeah. And and I think that a greater, not an emphasis, but a greater um, uh, conversion rate of explosive plays into touchdowns is is an area again you're being really nitpicky because this is an offense that's playing at a at a breakneck um, pace currently but like if you're going to be critical and there's going to be an area where you can get better that's that's the area yeah i mean it's a top i think it's right now depending on which system you look at it's number one offense of the country in several metrics uh certainly top three in almost everyone i think so, yeah, it is getting nitpicky. Uh, you know, one of the things, switching over to the other side, um, you know, Washington State, Cam Ward was able to throw for 438 yards. And, and um, again, they got the late the late score. But, you know, Oregon pretty much had them held at 16 um, until garbage time, which I think is a pretty good uh, – you know, they got a lot of yards but not a lot of points. So I think that's a pretty good defensive effort. And, you know, we always talk about how much we hate the transitive property when people are talking about, you know, comparing college football teams or comparing, oh, we beat this team by X and you only beat them by Y. And to me, this game is a perfect uh, example of why the transitive property is uh, is just something that shouldn't be used, right? Because you'll uh, Washington State was down the last couple of weeks. They, Cam Ward had, you know, really bad games, didn't throw for a lot of yardage. And then, you know, obviously he came out and had 440 yards in this game. It, it, they weren't the same team. <laughs> he wasn't the same guy, like as he was the last two weeks. Like that's not Oregon's defense being bad. Like it's just every game's different. And and Cam Ward and this team came out and they had a good game plan and they executed it well. I mean, Lincoln Victor had sixteen catches for one hundred sixty yards. All that underneath stuff, right? Um, and Oregon also was missing some DBs in this game and had to play some guys at different positions. But um, at the end of the day. I mean, they only scored 16 points in in, in, in the play that mattered. So uh, it's hard to fault the defense too much, I guess. Yeah, one touchdown. I mean, that's you can live with that. Is, is it ideal to give up the kind of yardage you gave up through the air? No, but if it's going to be on broken plays and scrambles, like those, those are <clears throat> the amount of times that, that Washington State created um, – created offense from within the structure of their offense was far less frequent than the, than the box score would um, indicate. Whereas like the amount of times where we, we dial up a good pressure, we create the pressure we intend to. And then Cam Ward just Houdini's his way out of a tough situation um, was is much higher. Well, you know what I love about this? Washington State was four for 14 on third downs. We talked all all offseason about Oregon has to get better on third, getting off the field on third down, and they've been much better all year long. Four Oregon for 14. Good That's against a, Washington on third down. They were. Yeah, they were. At fourth downs, Washington State was only one for four. So, I mean, Oregon's defense bowed up in those, critis- in those times, got Washington State off the field. Uh, you know, I think if you want to – 
I don't know, critique isn't the right word. I mean, one thing you'd like to see more out of this defense is more turnovers. So they've only got seven turnovers on the season, which is like 106th in the country. But they've only, Oregon conversely, has only given up the ball once. They still have a plus plus six margin, even with such a small number of turnovers. And turnovers are partly luck. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's something about our players or the structure of defense that we play that, that gives us less opportunities for turnovers. I, I, I defer to you on that, but... Um, I think overall, I, I'm pretty happy with this defensive performance, even though the yardage was there. Yeah, I, I don't have any uh, magical input on the turnover situation. I I agree with you. I think turnovers are largely luck, but I do think that, like specifically at the safety position, uh, when you, you you can get guys who are particularly um, instinctive and have the ability to cover and make plays on balls that other guys can't like Javon Holland, for example, like that guy was going to get a couple picks a year just because of the way he played the ball, the way he reacted to the ball, the way that, uh, he could instinctively trigger on things. And that's not everybody. Um, and so I think having high-end safeties helps with that. I think having high-end corners obviously helps. But I think the biggest thing is having a rush. And I think Oregon's rush has been really good. I think Oregon had seven sacks in this game, which brings the season total to, what, 25? I think it was five sacks. Five sacks by five different guys. But, yeah, 25 on the season. Yeah, so 25 sacks on the season. Um, so they're getting – and they're getting pressure on a lot of the plays where they're not getting sacks. So, like, I, I feel really good about this rush going forward. Um, I don't know that there's an offensive line left on the schedule that's really equipped to block us up all that well in pass pro. So, um, I don't know. Well, maybe it, maybe as we play some less mobile quarterbacks, you see more turnover-worthy plays. But when you play a player like Cam Ward, you has played a lot of ball. He protects the ball pretty well. But he also escapes pressure well, right, which means he's going to have opportunities to throw the ball away uh, or make a, make a throw to a receiver downfield. Uh, we were both wrong. It was six sacks, so we'll split the difference. Uh, what was cool to see, too, is, um, you know, the freshmen really getting in on that action, right? You, you really see them coming into their own, those freshman edge players. But Mateo had his first sack of the season, also had a really nice tackle for loss on a run play where he's been really good against the run this year, way better than I think any of us expected. Blake Purchase also had a sack in this game, uh, so it's nice to see them and and. Uh, Tuyoti, you know, had some pressures at times in this game as well and you know, had had three tackles. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see all three of them kind of like turning a corner as we get halfway through their their first season. Real quick, going back to the third down conversions, you know, Oregon last year what allowed 47% on third downs, which was 123rd in the country. You know, only eight spots out of dead, dead last. This year, Oregon is allowing just 33% on third downs, which is good for 31st in the country. You know, an incredible improvement there and, and just in one season. Yeah, and I love seeing the freshman play. Like like seeing Purchase, like Blake Purchase flash his ability where it's like, yeah, he's going to be really good. But I think seeing him chase down Ward from behind um, after running the arc and just seeing the explosiveness to close, seeing Mateo do the same thing, um, the the tackles for loss that both Mateo and, and uh, Tuioti had, the pressures that those guys were generating, that's going to be a pretty special group. Um, and I think just, again, like the week-over-week improvement, like from a skill set standpoint that each of those guys is displaying, like they all look like completely different players than they did six weeks ago. 
um, which is a testament to the staff, but it's also a testament to the players for really applying themselves and taking it seriously on a week-to-week basis. Uh, and I think that those guys are only just scratching. Like, I don't think, especially Mateo, I don't think Mateo has a clue how good he can be. Um, and that's what's really exciting is that you have true freshman edge players making substantial impacts at a pretty tough position to make an impact at. Uh, and they're still just barely scratching the surface of what they can be. Kibi, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about this game before we move over to the national stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we are back talking Ducks win over Washington State. We were kind of leaving it off there talking about the freshman edges and how well they played in this game and just kind of how how much better you're seeing in the week-over-week improvement. Um, You know, let's call out a couple more defensive players. Um, Nico Reed, who's been playing primarily slot corner, nickel, like a star. Most of the season, especially the last four or five, six games, he's kind of been the starter there. He he kicked out with uh, Kyrie Jackson not playing. He kicked out and played outside corner the entire game, um, and I thought he he did a really decent job. I, you know, there I think most of the damage Washington State did in this game was on the nickel back and on the safeties, and you know, I kind of picked on Taishim and some of the safeties a little bit in the passing game, Steve and and Evan. And, and yeah, I thought that, I, I kind of go ahead, go ahead, really quick, not to not to pick on anyone in particular, but they were they were very clearly when they were going empty, they were picking on Steve Stevens. They were, they were creating isolation matchups because we like to bring pressure. We like to play man. They were creating isolation matchups against uh, Vic, is it Victor? The, yeah. the the slot receiver as the number yeah, two. Yeah, sixth guy, 16 catches, yeah. Yeah, out of empty. And, like, there was, there was a couple times where, hey, like, you know what? Like, either we got lucky or Steve Stevens made a play. Uh, but there was also a lot of times where they were able to get that matchup and they were able to take advantage of it. Um, they really weren't getting – and this has been true for the most part all season – they really weren't getting a lot against our corners on the outside. And I think that Nico Reed played a really good football game, and I'm glad that you brought him up. The one that I want to bring up is Justin Jacobs because this was his yeah, first Yeah, real time. quick, let me finish the thought on the corners real quick because I, I do think that that's where the impact of Kyrie missing uh, this game really was felt because if Kyrie plays, Nico's playing in that in that slot and Taishim's playing back at safety wow. more, right? And and that, so kind of like that, that, that domino effect of Kyrie being out is kind of what left that – that exposure there in the slot and, and against the safety that it, it probably wouldn't be there to the same degree should Kyrie get back. So unfor- luckily the next couple of games are Cal and Utah, obviously this week. And it, you know, you're not necessarily going to, you know, face teams that are going to play a passing attack like Washington state. So if we can get Kyrie healthy for the USC game, then I think that's uh that'll, that'll leave us in a really good shot I, there. Go ahead. And, yeah. Let's I, talk I about Justin. I kind of disagree okay. though. Like just to be honest with you, because like we were still rotating four corners. Now, I mean, I'm, Florence, I'm sure, played a disproportionate amount of snaps relative to the other guys. But Dante Manning played quite a bit. Triquez Bridges played quite a bit. Nico Reed played quite a bit. So if we wanted to to like play Reed in the slot, it's not that we didn't have enough corners to do it. It's just that like Steve Stevens has been playing a ton. 
he played like 97% of the snaps against Washington at safety. And then he played uh, a similar proportion of snaps today or on, sorry, on Saturday. Um, yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not here to pick on Steve Stevens. It's just that he's rather limited uh, explosively, like explosive athleticism wise um, against most high end slot receivers in the league. Um so that that that's not just a byproduct of Kyrie Jackson being out. That's a decision we're making now. I'm sure he's bringing something else to the table, and I'm sure there's a lot of intangible things that he's bringing to the table that you and I aren't privy to, right? Um, but regardless of that, like I, I think that the depth at corner still looks really good. Like Dante Manning gave up a, a deep ball that was just a tremendous throw and catch, but he was in fantastic position. He was squeezing him to the sideline. Um, and, and making a lot of really impressive plays. So I, yeah. I just don't want to – I don't want to sit here and, and pretend that like not having Kyrie Jackson is why this player is playing a lot of snaps because Kyrie Jackson was available last week and he still played almost every snap. No, I, it, it wasn't – I meant that's not what I was trying to say. I, we're, we're choosing, to your point, we're choosing to uh, – you know, we, we chose to bump Nico outside – and play Taishim in the star and, and play, you know, Steve and, and Evan Williams. And those three, I think played every snap on defense. So that was a choice we're making now. You know, I, I don't know why, I don't know why we're doing that instead of playing like, you know, Dante and Dante and Bridges and, um, and, and, uh, and Florence all played all split time. Basically they all played about, you know, somewhere between 17 and 35 snaps each. So we're, we're choosing to play them in a rotation and play Nico full time on the other side and play the, the two safeties in the, and the star hundred percent of the snaps. So I can't, I can't pretend to understand why that, that choice is being made, but it is. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, like you're, you're one of the one of like the immediate knee jerk like responses that would be, well, it's because they don't like Nico playing off blocks in the slot, but frankly, he's been a fantastic force defender on the outside at corner against the screen game. So he's also I, played slot almost the entire year. So um, yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm most not of sure. the snaps the season have come there. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, obviously, I prefer Tyshum Johnson in there uh, on like base downs against the run, but. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Let's go on. Justin Jacobs, first game of the year, 35 snaps, which is probably double what I expected him to play. Um, did you get a chance to, to watch him at all in the rematch and the rewatch? Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed with him. He, he has such great length, but he's a great tackler. Um, and one of the things that we didn't get to see much of him at Iowa was as a pass rusher. Uh, and he got a sack in his first game just using his length to defeat a, a running back. And he's going to be able to do that in a lot of matchups this year. So um, I think he's a perfect fit for this defense. He's, um, he fills and he plays with anticipation at inside linebacker more naturally than any of the other backers that play consi- like heavy snaps for us. Uh, and he's, he's just a really strong tackler, just like good form tackle. There was one uh, where he, we, we, I think it was like a third and one. I think third it was the two, third yeah. one. Yeah, third one, a third and two before the fourth down stop that we got where Evan Williams made the tackle on the sideline on Cameron Ward, where it was just beautiful. He just reads his keys, stays square, slides over, steps up, fills, form tackle, guys going backwards, right? So, like, that's the kind of stuff that he brings that I think is advanced relative to the other uh, linebackers in the room. 
Well, his timing of return is is pretty good with Utah this week, who's obviously going to try to run the ball a lot, um, and then Cal will as well the following week. So getting him back uh, and kind of getting his uh, sea legs under him, if you will, against Washington State, which is probably not the ideal. I mean, I think he was, he's fine in coverage. I think he did pretty well in this game, gave up you know one one catch. Um, but he's really good in that coverage. Was, yeah, that, I mean that catch too was that where he got put he got put in a choice of like come up and try to get Ward or stay back on and he, he came up because Ward had escaped the pocket and was going to run a long ways he came up and Ward just threw the ball over his head to a guy who was no one within thirty yards of him so that wasn't really you know bad coverage or anything so I remember that no play and there very was well. plays that that he made um, that were not like trackable so the, the his guy was not the targeted ball or. Uh, the targeted receiver on the play, but um, there was a play where he carried a, a running back downfield about 35 yards on a, uh, on a wheel route. And he looked like a safety. He, he doesn't have a safety skill set. I'm not saying he could play safety, but the way that he was able to track, keep his hips and, and, and look back for the ball um, was more DB like than linebacker like. And that's what we saw in film of him when he was playing the Sam at Iowa too, was that he was just a tremendous, uh, tremendous cover guy. Yeah, I think I, I, it might be the play you're talking about too. But there was a play where Washington State had kind of um, had had a back leaking out in a wheel route uh, to the kind of weak side of the formation, where there was no other people. But Jacobs just tracked him like perfectly and shut that down. It had no chance, and it was clear where that was ball was designed to go, and, and it didn't it didn't he didn't throw it because there was no chance. Yeah, yeah and really good to see Justin shout back. Out. On this game specifically defensively is the the discipline that we played with against some of the misdirection stuff that they tried to run. Uh, we were never out of position on that. We never let guys sneak out the back end. Um, our our defensive backs kept their eyes on their keys and didn't let the backfield shenanigans get to them. Uh, and that's really encouraging, I think, just from a discipline standpoint to see um, to see us being able to. to keep leverage on misdirection plays and not give up explosives in those situations where we've seen a lot of duck defenses fold. Yeah, exactly. Anything more on this game on either side of the ball, or do you want to move on and talk about their other games? No, I'm, I'm good on this one. I think we've covered it well. It, again, it wasn't a perfect performance, but I think there's a lot of good to take away from it. Um, and specifically, it seems that both Bucky and Jordan James are going to be okay after going down with with uh, minor with Knicks in this game. So, oh not yeah, Bo Knicks, yeah, but with uh, like injuries. Yeah, Knicks and Knicks and bruises. Yeah, we yeah. got gotcha. you. Um, you know, one other thing I'll say, and we'll talk about this other game later. But you know, obviously that big game last weekend up in Seattle. Um, you know, takes takes a toll on teams physically and emotionally whenever you have one of those games, and it's always where you're kind of subject to a potential let game, letdown game. And you know, we'll talk about them later. But Washington sure seemed to have quite a letdown game coming off of their win against us against Oregon. But the Ducks really didn't. I mean, I think that you give them credit; they came back, they came home, and yeah, they you know they kind of had a little little sputter to start the game, but it never felt like you know they were uh, it never felt like a letdown game, right? They were ready to play, and that showed. And Washington State's a way better football team than Arizona State. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not even close. All right, let's uh, let's move over there. So uh, this game, obviously, Oregon did not cover. We both picked uh, picked the Ducks to cover. You this week, uh, QB, are you went 
No, that was last week. Sorry. You went four and six this week. Um, You picked Oregon in this one. I also picked Oregon. So did Justin. We all kind of fell victim to that late backdoor cover by the Cougs there. Um, Next game up was uh, quite a good one to watch. Utah at USC. USC was a seven-point home favorite. Obviously, they lost the game. Uh, we all, you and I picked USC. Justin got this one as he picked Utah. But let's talk about this game a little bit. I know you were watching it uh, after our game. Yeah, this game was hilarious. Um, this game was a lot closer than it needed to be because of a late pick six. Um, but Utah really controlled this game. They were just running through their face. They they can't really throw the ball. They don't really have any explosive playmakers remaining. Um, at the receiver position, they have a converted safety who's kind of their do-it-all guy now at, as a running back, but who also catches the ball out of the backfield. Um, and a pig farmer at quarterback who plays with a lot of grit but doesn't have a whole lot in regards to arm talent. And it didn't matter. They just kind of punched a hole straight through the, through the midsection of USC kind of as much as they wanted to. Um, and if it wasn't for a late pick six by Barnes, like this game wouldn't have really been something that was sweat at all. Yeah, I mean, Utah scored 24 against Florida, 20 against Baylor, 31 against Weber State, 14 against UCLA, 7 against Oregon State, 34 last week against Cal, and 34 again. So they tied their season high in this one. And I, I would say if like – if you have a bat, if your offense is in a funk, play USC because you will get out of the funk. Uh, it's USC is something, man. And like you said, they almost won this game. They almost, with the pick six and the punt return late by by Branch, they took the lead. And you're like, are they going to get away with this again? Are they going to get away with this? As uh, my, our friend Ari Wasserman says, grab assery. Are they going to get away with this again? And, and thankfully, Utah didn't let them get away with it again because USC did not deserve to win this game at all. They're they're a mess of a football team. Well, there's one I, thing it, it's like embarrassing from an identity standpoint. There's one thing that like is very clear about about Utah is that like they're going to show up, they're going to play disciplined football, they're going to play with physicality, and they're going to give you their best shot regardless of who's on the field for them, right? Like that's you can always count on that with Utah. With USC it's almost the exact opposite. Like like that is a soft program. It was a soft program um, at the tail end of Carroll. It was a soft program under Sark. It was a soft program under Lane. It was a soft program under Clay Helton. And now it's a soft program under under Lincoln Riley. Um, they, they are not a physical football team. They do not show and display resilience. Um, they, they just, they're soft. Um, and so soft. It just, like, soft teams get beat by teams that have toughness. No matter how good your quarterback is, no matter how much talent you have, um, and I like I, I should have known that I should have picked Utah in this game. Uh, I I just I and I know you have a similar theme in your picks over the weeks. Like I just had confidence that USC offensively was going to be good enough to cover up for their softness on defense, and they haven't been. Like their USC offense is kind of falling into a funk too. Yeah, they are. It will to me. It's because they're so reliant on Caleb Williams to make plays outside the structure of the offense. They're not actually like he's not making a ton of on schedule throws um, and creating explosive plays from within the offense. Everything is extended plays and crazy throws, and there it's just there's no 
there's no consistency to it. Um, they have some good players. Like they've got the running back Lloyd. They've got the running back Jones. They've got Zach Branch. But the receiver room is like not having Jordan Addison. They're very average. Like if Brendan Rice is your best outside receiver, you're not very good at outside receiver. Sorry to break it to anybody. Um, and it doesn't seem that they're finding ways within the offense to get the ball to Zach Branch in space nearly as frequently as they should be. Uh, and, and so like a team like Utah is just like, well, you know what? Like we know you're soft. We know you know you're soft. And so we're just going to run through your face for four quarters. Um, and we're going to get enough good drives to where we're going to score enough points to win this game. And we're going to out execute you defensively. And that's exactly how this game played out. Like they, they had the turnover at the end that was costly. Kalen Bullock made a really nice break on that ball, returned it for six. Um, a theme yesterday where, where teams got pick sixes late in games. Um, but it, it didn't matter because Utah had resilience and resolve that, that USC lacks. Um, they have a composure that USC lacks. Um, and I, I just think that they're way better coached. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, I said this at the time and it turned out potentially to be, or turned out to be true when, when they got that pick six, uh, you know, Lincoln decided to go for two, which I think it would have cut the game to a three point game or something. But I just remember thinking like, this is too early to be chasing that point. And it turned out to be absolutely true because they didn't get it, which then forced them to go for two on the next touchdown to make it a three point lead, which they also didn't get. And then they, you know, that, that would have been the difference between Utah's field goal at the end to tie the game and Utah's field goal at the end being to win the game. And um, I see, I see coaches do that a lot. It, you know, they, especially when you see coaches like chasing and, you know, a point in the like second quarter or even anytime in the third quarter, it's like, there's going to be like eight more possessions in this game. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you chasing this point so early? And, that was one that stood out to me as well, which, you know, it's just not a well-coached team. I mean, that's clear. And it's not just defensively. Like, I mean, their offensive line is a mess. Um, they don't run the ball nearly as much as they should because they're actually a pretty good running very, team when they try. I don't think they're very talented on the offensive line, to be honest with you. Um, well, that shouldn't be really a surprise. They've yeah, got but guys. they're probably – but do you think they're well-coached on the offensive line? I, I don't know anything about their offensive line coach, to be honest with you. I know he was at AM before. Um, I don't know anything about him either. I'm just watching the game, and I don't think they're well-coached or talented. Well, yeah, I, but how do you differentiate the two? I mean, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that they're particularly talented on the offensive line. Um, I, I think that Marshawn Lloyd's a good player at running, at running back. I don't think that they're very good at right wide receiver outside a uh, branch. Um, I, I don't think that plays. Caleb – yeah, and I don't think that Caleb Williams is playing well within the within the system. Like I've seen, I don't think this is a broken offense. I've seen Lincoln Riley put up ungodly numbers with all kinds of different quarterbacks running this offense, um, and so I like I just think that there's too much hero ball being played by by Williams, which is like kind of plays into his whole like ego situation thing. Like I don't I don't, I don't know. He just he seems like a narcissistic kid if we're being honest um but that's besides the point like the, the point i'm making is i i don't i think the offense has bigger problems and everyone's like everyone right now is assuming well without kale this kale williams is this whole offense without him they're going to be horrible next year well it's like if they get a little bit better at receiver next year and they get a quarterback that actually plays the offense instead of doing everything by himself 
they could get better. Yeah. I like I don't yeah, I, just, playing, I don't yeah. I don't subscribe to the idea that Caleb Williams is executing this offense at a level that nobody else can. I think he makes plays off schedule that nobody else can. I think he makes off platform throws that literally nobody else in college football can. But I, I don't think he executes their offense at anywhere near an elite level relative to the quarterbacks that we've seen run that offense, whether it was Kyler Murray, whether it was Baker Mayfield, whether it was Jalen Hurts. Um, so that, that th- those are my thoughts on the whole USC situation. Defensively, they're poorly coached. I, I don't think they have good assistant coaches on defense. I don't think they have a good defensive coordinator. I don't think that they have a, a great talent, but I also think that there's just an identity issue. I think they have a bunch of soft players. I think they have soft coaches, um, and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. We'll talk a lot more about Utah on Thursday when we preview that game because that's obviously Oregon's next opponent. But one thing I do want to call out is they seem to have found an explosive playmaker in safety, Sione Vaki, who they, they have playing both ways now. He ran the ball nine nine times for 68 yards, also had five catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. So um, that's something that Oregon will have to account for next week. But uh, he's he's basically it. And Bryson Barnes, is just he's just a gamer, you know? Like, he doesn't really do anything great, but – um, it's a, it's a very Utah quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a lot worse than Cam rising. He's a lot worse than Tyler Huntley was. Um, but like he made the plays that they needed him to make yesterday to win. Um, yeah. and so you have to give a kid credit for doing that because he is doing it against all odds. He's doing it as a kid who was a walk on from a small town who doesn't have world-class arm talent, doesn't have great size, He's just making plays, um, and I respect that. It's, uh, but it's, I don't know. I, I think that comes to an end this week, but we'll see. Yeah, let's move on. Arizona State up in Washington for the late night game on FS1. Uh, Washington was a twenty-six and a half point favorite. Obviously, they did not cover. They won this game fifteen to seven. They did not score an offensive touchdown in this game. They had, uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, Arizona State had a great game plan. You got to give them credit. Kenny has those guys playing hard. They're one and six on the year now. Um, their offense—if their offense had any ability at all—they win this game by two scores. Because uh, their defense—if Jade, if Jade Rashada plays, they win this game. Yeah, and they almost—I mean—they probably should have won it anyway. I mean that you know that that last, they were up, they're up ten three at that or sorry seven three at the half. They were up. Um, they were up seven to six late, driving into Washington territory. They had the uh, they had the second and second and ten at the Washington nineteen. Threw the ball into the end zone. The guy was like absolutely mugged. Flag down. Came down on the field for pi. The other ref like talked him out of it, and then two plays later, they throw the pick six that basically won the game for Washington. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Tough way to lose. I mean, ASU didn't make the plays they needed to make um, when it mattered. Washington did. I this was a, a hideous game, but this this thing that was surprising is that Arizona State did it. Like I, I, when I I watched back like more of the all twenty two of the Washington game this week after we had recorded, and like we physically dominated them at the point of attack on both sides of the ball, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but. ASU did it too. <laughs> yeah, and ASU they owe they owe the Washington's interior line. I mean, on both sides, and and ASU has been 
like the walking wounded on the offensive line all year. And like, I don't think anybody looks at that defensive line as a super talented unit. Um, yeah, I, I that they're just um, Washington is kind of soft too. If I'm if we're being honest, like on both lines, um, and they get bailed out by really exceptional quarterback play, a really well designed offense, and good receiver play. Well, the quarterback had a really bad game yesterday, um, and the softness showed up, and they were in a dogfight with a really bad football team. Now, I still am going to keep them at number one of my power rankings because they won, right? They're undefeated. I remember Oregon in 2010 um, playing a game against Cal, which was not an elite Cal team by any stretch of the imagination, where we needed a Cliff Harris punt return to to win the game. Uh, Ultimately, they got us to an undefeated season in, in in a national championship game. I'm not making that kind of prediction for Washington, but I'm not going to punish them for winning a clunker. Um, but they better figure out their issues because I think that there's team there's teams that are definitely good enough to beat them if they have that kind of performance again left on their schedule. Um, and I think that the problems that Oregon saw on film and, and, and put on film themselves um, are showing themselves against lesser competition, which could spell trouble for Washington over the course of the rest of the year. Yeah, Washington was ran the ball 13 times for 13 yards in this game. I, I, unbelievable. I could not run the ball. Uh, Penix was 27-42 for 275. Those two interceptions also had a fumble in this game. Um, yeah, they also had uh, – actually, they had three fumbles. So they lost two of them. So they had four turnovers. Um, which unfortunately for Arizona State, they just don't, didn't have any ability to convert those into points, um, which was which was really the, the the story of the game here. Washington's defense, I do think, is is quite a bit improved over last season. And and I was talking about this with a Washington fan earlier. Like if their defense, if they have last year's defense, they probably lose. Well, they definitely lose this game, and they lose the last week's game against Oregon. And quite. Quite frankly, they could have lost the game before against against Arizona if they had their their same defense as last year. So, as yeah. much accolades as their offense gets, well deservedly so, their defense is playing just well enough to to win these games these last couple of games. Specifically, in the secondary, like Jabbar Muhammad um, was a really good pickup for them this offseason. Um, I had concerns about his length, and I mean, like from an NFL standpoint, I think it will be a little bit of a limiting factor for him. But he's a good player. Um, and he's, he's pretty damn sticky in coverage, and they didn't have anybody who was sticky in coverage a year ago. Um, and because of that, it's allowed them to kind of reshuffle some things and move some guys into positions that I think are more a natural fit for them. Um, well, not that I think that are proving to be more natural fits for them. So I think the Washington secondary has gotten quite a, like pretty substantially better, uh, but they're still like on the fronts specifically. Like it is just such an average group. Like outside of outside of Braylon Trice, like who's the who's the playmaker? Is there a playmaker outside of Trice? No, I don't think so. In the front, like ZTF is still living off of 2020, and it's been three years now, and he hasn't really done anything since. Um. And like that whole that class of defensive linemen that has been there forever still aren't very good. I I don't know. It's uh, frustrating that we lost them last week because like pretty clear we were the better team. But you know what? You still gotta gotta play the game. You gotta win the game. 
uh, and we didn't do it. So, yep, yep. And they played, you know, they played their best game of the year against us. So credit to them, and hopefully we'll get a chance to rematch with them. All right, let's move on. One more Pac-12 game this week. UCLA goes to Stanford, switches out quarterbacks. Ethan Garber's got the start in this one. He went 20 for 28 for 240 and two touchdowns. Uh, UCLA just destroyed Stanford uh, 42 to 7. Um, so they get back on the winning way. Like, Does Chip think that this proves to anybody that Garber's is the right quarterback, though? Like, You think that if he, they would have just stuck with Dante, that Dante wouldn't have had a get-right game against Stanford? Stanford's bad. Stanford's really it, bad. It does feel like a, like if you're trying to think about the future of your of your franchise quarterback, if you will, right? Your your five star. Okay, yeah, he had a couple rough games against you know Utah, Washington State, and Oregon State. You know, two two of the better defenses in this conference, and Washington State is a a plucky team, right? Um, defensively as well. Why would you not like say, okay, let's build your confidence back against this bad Stanford team. Let's give you an opportunity to like have a good game, get your head up, feel like get, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like Like you're you're going to play him against the tough competition and then you're going to bench him when you play the worst team on your, like the worst team you've played in a month. Like we're, we're, which is actually an opportunity for him to like get some of that confidence back, and then you're going to go to a guy like you could you could they could have played me at quarterback in one one on Saturday. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it just it, the mismanagement seems like it almost seems nefarious. I don't know. Chip is Chip. Chip's going to be Chip. So uh, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that for the rest of the season. If he gets back in, is he going to stay on the bench? What does that mean for, for, for the next year for him and, and that team? But uh, yeah, you still, I don't know much as I didn't watch this game, obviously, um, you know, Stanford's a bad football team. UCLA is a good football, good ish above average. Uh, what would you call them? Um, They're solid. Solid. I think I like that. Solid. Like they're they're better than the bad teams, and they're decisively worse than the really good teams yeah. in the league. Yeah, they're solid, and their defense has been is one of the better ones in the in the league as well. So give them credit they uh, they took it to Stanford, did what you're supposed to do against uh, bad teams. So uh, let's take another quick break, and then we'll talk about the national games. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, QB, we are back. Uh, let's start Penn State, Ohio State. we got to start there. 20-12 to 12 victory for the Buckeyes at home to move to 7-0. and 0. Drops your Nittany Lions to 6-1, and 1, your preseason uh, playoff pick. What did you see in this one other than uh, a lot of defense? Yeah, I, I coming into the season, I, I think maybe I had bought into some hopium that the, uh, that the uh, Penn State receiver room would be better than it's been. And it hasn't been very good. Um, 
And that was like clearly the difference in this game. Like you had two young quarterbacks making mistakes against good defenses, but one guy had Marvin Harrison Jr. to throw the ball to, and 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 Drew Aller didn't really have anyone particularly impressive to throw the ball to. Um, so you just had two good defenses going against young, inexperienced quarterbacks, uh, and it came down to really like Marvin Harrison Jr. making plays that guys from Penn State didn't make, and um, that was the difference. And so. Uh, I think that after watching this game and then watching, continuing to watch Michigan, that Michigan will be both of these teams. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that people want to say about Oregon, some people uh, want to say about Oregon lacking explosiveness at times, which we've, we've proven isn't true is actually true about Penn state. They are 129th in the country in, um, in plays of 20 or more yards. They only have 18 of those on the entire season. Uh, they're only better than Eastern Michigan, Wyoming, and East Carolina. So, and that showed in this game, right? Uh, they just don't have, you know, they they don't have any explosiveness to them, running or passing, and they've relied up to this point in this game on just being very methodical on offense, pounding the ball. Well, when you then you when you play a good team with great athletes and a good defensive line, and and whose Ohio State's defense is one of the stories of the season, I think. Who, who kind of shuts down your running game only 49 yards rushing for Penn State then what do you got what do you got going for you uh not a lot no nope. not a lot because Drew yeah, LR was only don't... 18 32 yeah yeah and it's I, I think Drew Aller is the better quarterback in this game I don't think he played a fantastic game but I also don't think that he has I'm, I'm not a, I'm not in love with this offense I'm yeah. not in love with the receiving core I, I think the offensive line is kind of overrated. Like they were supposed to be a really good unit coming into the year, um, and they really struggled. And again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Ohio State. They're pretty good up front, um, but I don't know. I uh, Ohio State's still a really good football team, even without a super elite quarterback. Uh, they, they've improved a lot defensively, and I don't want to take anything away. I thought Penn State played a really good game defensively as well. Yeah, I'm, I mean. Look, Penn State is Penn State. They're they're going to win nine to ten games every year. They're going to lose to Michigan and Ohio State, and that's just who they are. They're just not good enough. They're not they're not good enough against to beat those two teams. It's right not now like they can't get over that hump, though. I, I don't. I, do I mean, they not can, pre- but they, they haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's like year ten. I mean, when's it going to happen? Well, they finally got the quarterback, and now they don't have the receivers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they're not capable, but yeah, I mean. At some point, you actually have to do it. So, yeah, they're not there. Don't disagree. Uh, but you know what? In the twelve-team playoff era, they're probably a playoff team. You know, two out of three years, three out of four years, <laughs> they'll roll into the playoffs and you know maybe win a game every once in a while, and then lose to a better team. So, yeah, I, I think that Penn State has upside going forward because of Aller. Um, but he's got to get better, but they got they got to get him some more weapons. Well, I was the only one who picked Ohio State in this game, so I get my, one of my rare wins this week, one of my two wins this week here. Uh, you and Justin both, uh, both picked Penn State to win this one. All right, let's go down to uh, Tuscaloosa, Tennessee, 20, Alabama, 34. Alabama was a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I felt really good about my Tennessee pick going against you, you and Justin in this one. I felt really good about it about halftime when Tennessee was up 20-7. to seven, But second half was Alabama, 27-zip in the second half uh, to win by 14. 
Yeah, I uh, this was a game where I saw the score at halftime and I was like, well, that's not going to last. Like, I think I think that they're just a genuinely better football team than Tennessee, um, and and they showed that um, over the course of the game. It's like I like my dad and I were joking around because it was during the Oregon game. What do you think Nick Saban is going to say to them at halftime? I was like, with well, a performance like that, like where they're down, I think it was twenty to seven. He probably didn't say anything. He probably just walked in the locker room and looked at him, and they probably knew exactly what they needed to do. Um, and then they came out and they completely dominated the second half. Um, Dallas Turner is just a freaking animal, the the edge rusher, um, and he's not the Chris Braswell. The other edge rusher is really good. That that Alabama team is really really good. They just don't have the elite quarterback that they've had, whether it was Tua or Mac Jones or Bryce, uh, Bryce Young. They don't have that right now, so they don't have the consistency in the passing game. Um, but they still have a metric crap ton of talent, uh, and and they're really dangerous. So I, I think that they're going to win the SEC West. Uh, this game just kind of reinforces that to me. Uh, LSU offensively can present some challenges to to Alabama, but I don't think the the LSU defense is going to get enough stops. Yeah, I'm calling it now. Alabama is going to win out and make the playoffs. You think they're going to win the SEC? I do. I think they're going to. I don't think they're going to lose again in, in, until I think they're going to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. That's going to be an interesting game because I think Carson Beck is better than Jalen Milrow. Um, but I think Bama might have the better. Well, pretty sure Bama has a better defense this year. I think they're just they're just figuring it out. They're just figuring out how they're going to drive. I mean, look at Tennessee's. Here's their second half possessions: three plays, eight yards punt; six plays, twenty-two yards turnover on downs; three plays, seven yards punt; three plays, fumble return touchdown; uh, three plays, one yard punt; nine plays, forty-two yards downs. I mean, that's it. It's just they just got totally shut down in the yeah. second half. Nothing. Yeah, and that's nothing. what happens when you have an elite pass rush with elite linebackers and elite de- interior defensive line and elite corners and elite safeties. And, and basically what I'm going to say is that they're just elite at every layer of the defense, at every position in the defense. Um, and they've got some insanely talented young players that are playing a lot of snaps that are that are doing going through the same thing that Mateo is going through, that Blake Purchase is going through, where they're getting better and better every week. Um, like Caleb Downs, the safety, is like really, really impressive. Yep. All right, let's go over to the ACC. Duke on the road at Florida State. I I was rolling with Duke in this one. I think if uh, if Riley Leonard doesn't re-injure himself and leave the game, I like Duke to cover. Unfortunately, he did, and their offense had nothing after Riley and Leonard went down. Like literally nothing after that, and they fall thirty-eight to twenty to Florida State, who put up twenty-one points in the fourth quarter. Uh, so you know, credit to Duke for going on the road and really really playing, I think, a really competitive football game against Florida State, but without Riley Leonard, it just wasn't to be. Yeah, tough tough game. Um, Florida State's a better football team. Duke is just really well coached. Um, and Riley Leonard, like the, the best part about him is his legs. And so when he's banged up, it's, it's not going to be enough against a team like Florida State, who has so many ways to win offensively. Um, and I think that they've made pretty good strides defensively this season as well. So not surprised to see Florida State come on late and separate in this game. Uh, even if Riley Leonard played, I think that's probably the outcome. But I'm sure that him not playing didn't help their case. 
Yeah, no, I think Florida State wins this game either way. But I, I would have covered, darn it. I would have covered. <laughs> I would have would have covered the two touchdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, Florida State continues to roll on. They're 7-0 now, 5-0 in conference. Um, their odds to continue to win and get into, certainly into the ACC title game. I mean, their schedule, there's not a lot of challenge left. I mean, they go at Wake, at Pitt, Miami at home, North Alabama at home, and then at Florida. So, I mean... It's pretty. Miami, it's pretty Miami's makeable. not easy game. No, I'm not saying it is, but but that's a that's a pretty nice schedule for Florida State to to at least get to 11 and one. Miami had their the identity game. Yeah, let's talk about that. Clemson goes to Miami. Um, you and I both pick Clemson. Justin got the win here. Pick a Miami, who was getting three in this one. They win 28 to 20. Another Mario kind of coaching faux pas at the end of the game, but it didn't cost him this time as he was able to win in overtime, double overtime. Uh, of course, they are without Tyler Van Dyke. Emery Williams came in, and he's pretty limited as a passer, so Miami just kind of leaned into the run game, which you know probably fits Mario pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he made enough throws. Uh, Colby Young, the receiver, number four, made a lot of plays. But the, the Miami offensive line is legitimately really, really good, like elite probably one of the best, if not the best in the country. Um, them, Michigan, Oregon, um, and a few other units, I think, could probably vie for that for that title. Um, but, man, Miami Miami's offensive line against a really talented uh, Clemson front was, like, just straight up, like, forklifting them and creating massive holes. So that was impressive to me. It was like that's that's a Mario wet dream game where he's he's up against he's going strength on strength and his guys are just completely like gashing um and and like really like playing impressively. So kudos to the Miami offensive line, kudos to the Miami defensive front. Clemson through their entire run, and I've said this multiple times on this podcast, has never been particularly good on the offensive line. This is a bad Clemson offensive line, but but Miami has some playmakers in the front seven that were like really causing problems. Ruben Bain, who's a true freshman edge rusher for them, is really special, uh, and like he's going to be a really high draft pick at some point here in the next couple of years. He had two sacks in this game. He was just ragdolling guys that are in their twenties, and he's eighteen years old. Yeah, Clemson was only four for fourteen on third downs. You know, and I think there's bit of an identity crisis going on there in Clemson. I mean, they're four and three now, two and three in the ACC. Um, will probably, I mean, I think almost certainly won't make the ACC title game at this point. They still got to play North Carolina, Notre Dame this year. So they're not yeah. making that Clemson. Like yeah. here's the deal with Clemson offensively. I, I actually don't blame played kid club nearly as much as I think a lot of their fans do. They've got personnel issues that they're not used to having at receiver. They're not they're they don't have any elite playmakers at receiver. Um and the offensive line has never been elite, but it's like kind of bad right now. Um I don't think that they're like they've got solid players at running back. I, I just don't think that Clemson's personnel is all that good on offense. Nope. Nope. It hasn't been it's been declining. I mean, their line has never been great, as we talked about a lot. But their their skill personnel and, and other players have just continued to kind of deteriorate over over the years. And you know, you know, say what you will about DJU, and he took a lot of flack for some of their troubles over the last couple of years. But I mean, I think we're seeing that it, it 
you know, maybe he's not, you know, he's not Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think he was the problem there either necessarily. I, I mean, I think DJU is limited in his own ways, but he was far sure. from the only issue with this team. Um, like when you think back to the, their last national title team, they had Trevor Lawrence. They had um, at least two players that were drafted on the offensive line. They had Justin Ross and T. Higgins, who were both NFL wide receivers. They had an NFL tight end. They had Travis Etienne, who was a first round draft pick at 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 running back. Like they had all they had all kinds of talent, right? Um, they had, they had playmakers and difference makers um, at, in every position group offensively, and right now, like who. Who were their playmakers? Yeah, like Bo, Bo Collins. Like Bo, Bo Collins <laughs> is like, like Treshawn Holden level. No disrespect, but like, I don't mean that as a diss to Treshawn Holden. I'm just saying that like, Treshawn Holden's not good enough to be a, a top tier number one th- receiver, and neither is Bo Collins. Not, well, not I don't think Will Shipley that, is anything like you know fantastic in the running game either. Yeah, he's solid. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> he, he's no Bucky Irving. He's no Jordan James. Like, yeah. I, I, and and defensively, <laughs> Clemson's still really good. They don't they don't have any like insane pass rushers, but they still have some really good players on the inside. I think Peter Woods is going to be really good before his time's done at Clemson. Tyler Davis is a good player. Nate Wiggins had a tough game at corner, but he's really talented. They they've got players on defense still. Uh, but they do miss Brett Venables. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that 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 team is, you know, it's, it, to me it's been clear for a while. But I think any, anybody who still thought like, oh, they're going to bounce back, this is their bounce back year, I think has has probably been woken up now. And, and Clemson is a program that needs they needed some shakeups. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying go out and fire Dabo, right? That's kind of crazy. But I think they they need to shake up their staff. They need to shake up their approach to how they build a roster and how they uh, run their program. I think, I think they made some of the staff. I mean, they made, they started last year. They made the staff changes in the offensive side of the ball. They needed to, I don't know enough about their, the inner workings and about the offensive line coach, Um, but they got, they have Garrett Riley, who I think is a good coordinator, but it just, you just got to get talent in there, which means that they they have to start using the, they have to start using the, the transfer portal. If they don't use the transfer portal, they're up a Creek. Um, cause they, and there's good receivers in the transfer portal and they didn't take any. It, it, it's, it's, it's the it's negligence. Like if I was a fan of that program, I would be pulling my hair out being like, what is this stubbornness about? Like, what are you gaining with your stubborn insistence to not, uh, like use all of the roster building tools at your disposal? Like it's, it's literally just shooting yourself in the foot repeatedly for no real reason at all. No, nope. I mean, all these other teams can add transfer uh, portal guys and it doesn't hurt their culture like they can figure it out. So can you like it doesn't hurt Bama's culture. It doesn't hurt Georgia's. They take transfer guys. Oregon takes transfer guys. Our culture hasn't been better in years. Right. I mean, like all these teams figured it out. Your culture is not going to be broken if you take a couple of studs. Yeah, it's it was, it's just lazy roster management. They can call it culture. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's called a spade a spade. Like they, their problem is they just have been lazy with their with their roster management. They've been content just using what they've gotten. I think they got an ego from the championships that they won, um, and while everybody else was adjusting and trying to remain competitive and try and, and win at a high level, um, Clemson thought they were too good for it, and they're they're learning that lesson the hard way right now. Absolutely. 
All right, let's move on. We got a couple more games here. Let's go to the Big 12. TCU at Kansas State. <laughs> Rematch of last year's Big 12 title game. And uh, I know a team that definitely is not going to be in that game is TCU. They fall to 4-4 four and four on the year, 2-3 to three in conference, scored three points in this game. Kansas State, 41-3. to three. Um, Avery Johnson continues to see a role in Kansas State. The true freshman quarterback continues to see a, a kind of a, a role in Kansas State's offense. Five for 10 for 90 yards and a touchdown. Also run, ran the ball 16 times for 73 yards in this one. But uh, the story here is TCU has just fallen off a cliff this year. They're not a good football team. Yeah, I didn't watch this. I didn't honestly didn't even know the score. But that when you, you hearing you say it out loud doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Kansas State, 587 yards of offense uh, to 300 for TCU, who really doesn't do anything well. They're just, yeah. Kansas State, uh, they're rolling. They're they're a team that could earn their way back into that uh, Big 12 title game. They have the opportunity. They play Texas in a couple weeks. Um, And obviously, the rest of their schedule should be pretty manageable. I mean, obviously, at Kansas, they're a rivalry game. Um, but other than that, they play Houston, Baylor, and Iowa State. So if they can uh, find a way to win at Texas, they can be right back in that Big 12 title game. No no easy uh, task, of course. All right, QB. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. We are here to talk about the, uh, the Big Ten West battle. Probably the last – there's no Big Ten West after this year, but I'm sure the uh, – what the hell is this trophy's name? It's the Pig Trophy. The Pig Trophy. I can never remember the name. Iowa, Minnesota. The under hit, 12 to 10. 12 to 10 in this one. The lowest under in the history of odds making hit. <laughs> Minnesota gets the road win at Iowa, who falls to 3-2 and two in conference. Um, thankfully, they're no longer a playoff contender, so we can put that talk uh, they never away. were <laughs> i know but people wanted to talk about it as a possibility because they had one loss and their path looked easy to roll to the big 10 title game and they actually did i don't know if you saw the end of this one but they uh they had a punt return for a touchdown yeah, they got screwed yeah. but they deserve to get screwed for the way that they decide to play the game offensively is that's my take like they deserve 100 percent of what they get they had two yards in the second half of this game two yeah. yards They've they've got a like they've got like a tight end offensive tackle hybrid playing quarterback. They've got a play caller. I I, I think that like I genuinely like that I have no idea what their offensive philosophy is. I, I think that their their offensive philosophy is being bad at offense. Like we just need to get off the field so that our defense can get on the field and make plays. That that's what it feels like watching them try to try to offense. Who I mean, if you're a lineman, okay, I get it. But outside of offensive linemen, who, what kid is committing to Iowa? Well, they play defense. <laughs> no, offensively. Like who? Like what? Like if you're a receiver or running back or a quarterback or even a tight end, like why are you going to commit to this team? If you're a tight end, there's pretty good reason. You're like you're not going to be on a good offense, but you're probably going to get drafted pretty high because they do a good job of tight ends. But I understand your point. Like it's it's embarrassing to disgrace the football. Their quarterback was ten for twenty eight for one hundred and sixteen yards. Yeah, that's embarrassing. And an interception. 
Yeah, and they ran for 11 yards. Like, they don't even run. Like, you think, like, okay, well, no. run the ball at least. Nope, they can't even run either. They they do nothing. They do absolutely nothing on offense. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. And Yeah, their, their the offensive people, line's not nearly as good as it's been historically either. I just – I don't know how anyone can watch this type of game and uh, and feel like this is good football. Like, Minnesota had 239 yards. Iowa had 127 yards. If there you was less than game, 400 yards of offense in this game combined. You played this game 100 times. 12 points is the, is the single highest scoring game that Minnesota can produce. <laughs> that, that is how good Iowa's defense is. And their offense is so bad that they can lose that game. Here's what that I don't understand. Crazy. And they did get Here's screwed. What... Don't get me wrong. They got screwed at the end of that game with officiating. Eh, I don't like, care. But I, I don't feel bad for you. Like, your offense is that poor. You deserve to lose the game. You should lose the game. You should like you should forfeit every win you have this season just for putting that product on the field. Here's what I don't understand. How can your defense not wear down, you know, over the course of a game with your offense being so inept? Like, I would expect, even if you had the best defense, I would expect the off the, the offensive ineptitude would, would eventually – kind of wear your defense down either like psychologically or just from a, from a play count standpoint. And, and they would eventually give up something, but they seem to not. It's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, it is. It's really impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I don't have an answer for you, Doug. I don't, I wish I did. Actually, I'm glad I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. this is a this is the type of football game I will never watch. Uh, I know we're moving to the Big Ten. I'm not going to be watching a lot of Minnesota Iowa games. I mean, I'll watch I'll watch those teams when we're playing them. <laughs> but uh, I don't when they're playing each other. I'll just staff, tune out. I don't think this coaching staff is going to be at Iowa for very much longer. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, we got one more game: uh, the Armed Forces uh, battle between the Air Force Falcons and the Navy Midshipmen. Midshipmen. Um, the spread was 11, so we got to push here because Air Force won 17 to 6 in this one. Uh, you know, it's a lot of running. Although, actually, Navy threw the ball 29 times, so that's a lot. Yeah, well, they were they were playing from behind most of the game. Air Force, like, I saw a tweet. I think it was uh, Parker from Stats of War. He tweeted out, like, that. Like Iowa should just if they're gonna this is how they want to play like just go then commit to it and have an identity and run the option and like just run run the option the way Air Force does it though because it's like way more dynamic, uh, more multiple and like exciting to watch. Like I like watching Army with the ball it, or not Army watching Navy with the ball or Army because Army played LSU and got stomped is not fun to me. Watching Air Force with the ball is a blast. I actually like. I got to shout out Zach. It's the quarterback for Air Force. I assume it's Larry Air or something. It's L A R R I A R. I got to shout out this dude. Here is his season stats: passing the ball, twenty-four completions on thirty-three attempts, seventy-three percent. Okay, great. Six hundred and nineteen yards. He averages nineteen yards per attempt. It's all five yak, touchdowns, too. no interceptions. Five it's touchdowns all, and no interceptions. It's all yeah. It's crazy. That's the it's thing. Crazy. It's it's all yards after catch. In this game, he threw five passes and 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 racked up 151 yards on five pass attempts. Yeah, crazy. 
impre- impressive though. Like I, I again, I really enjoy Air Force. I think that they're at this point they're not that this was a conference game, but they have to be the favorite in the Mountain West. I think so. I yeah. I wish there was. I loved it when Georgia Tech ran the Wishbone or the Flexbone or whatever because I always liked when you'd see a Power Five team kind of you know running that and um you know they always gave some teams trouble every year right that'd be kind of fun to see that again yeah all right qb that's all we got game wise any other uh thoughts from around the weekend before we no, go to I, our uh, power rankings no i uh i think we're good all right well let's update the power rankings i will start at number 12 i've i've moved stanford back down to number 12 asu moves up after their plucky uh, almost win up in uh, Washington. Yep, agreed. Same same on both. All right, so I have ASU at 11. I've still got Cal sitting there at 10, and Colorado yep. at 9. Both were idle. Yep, that that seems fair to me. I, I Mine's not really any different, except for USC's lower and Utah's higher. Actually, I've got Washington State at 8. Yeah, that's about right. All right, I've got UCLA at 7. Yep. They won the head to head. I've got USC at six. Yeah, agreed. I have Arizona at five. Yeah, it's tough because USC did win that game, but I think that Arizona was the better football team. And I think they're I I look at it trendy trends a little bit, how they're how teams are trending and Arizona's trending up. USC's definitely trending down. Uh, they obviously play Oregon State next weekend, so they'll have a chance to either move up this list or uh, or move back down it potentially. But I've got Utah at four, um, and I've got Oregon State at three. I've got Utah at three. Going on the road to win a game like that is more impressive to me than anything that uh, – I mean, I understand that Oregon State won the head-to-head, but if we're going off trends, I, I, I just think the guts – I think the guts of that Utah team are uh, better. All right, and I've got Oregon at one and Washington at two. I think you probably have a flip flopped with me. I know they, I know Washington won the head to head. I considered that kind of a coin flip game. I think if I'm looking at this in true power rankings fashion and in projecting forward, I think Oregon is a better team on a better trajectory yeah. than Washington, despite the loss in the head to head last week. Yeah, I don't care. We just lost the head to head a week ago, and they're undefeated, and we're not. They get one. Also, I want to flip Oregon State and Utah. Actually, like Oregon State dominated them in the head to head, so. They, they have okay. to be out of them at three. Okay. So, so you're going to go Washington 1, Oregon 2. Makes sense. Yep. Washington 1, Oregon 2, Oregon State 3, Utah 4. All right. We have a couple of differences. Mostly we agree. Obviously, as these uh, matchups continue to happen, Oregon plays Utah. So that's one versus four, two versus four this week. So that will, uh, some people will be moving based on that. Oregon State, Arizona, that's three versus five they play. So, so people will be moving based on that potentially. Um, I don't know who USC plays next. Uh, I think they have a bye week this week. No, they don't have any buys till the last week of the season. Um, well, they on the schedule I looked at, they didn't play anybody this week. They have to play somebody this week. Uh, Great podcasting. I'm going to pull it up. Okay, USC plays um, Cal. They go on the road to Cal, and then they have their Washington, Oregon, UCLA finish. Got it. How many of those games, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, does USC win? Go. One. I think they win. Yeah, I think one's a safe bet. 
I'd put the over under at one and a half. How about that? Yeah, Sam. I think I think UCLA is liable to choke, even if they're the better team. Yeah, uh, that Washington USC game is one that. Well, first of all, let's see what USC does against Cal. But that why and Washington plays. Um, who do they got this week? They go to Stanford, so I don't really see any any uh, challenge there. But then Washington has to go down to the Coliseum to play USC, and I think that game is going to be a really interesting one to watch from just how that plays out. Um, and then obviously Oregon will be playing USC the following week, so it'll be a fun one yeah. to watch in a couple weeks. All right, All right, QB. I think that does it for today. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for all your awesome listener questions. Um, I know we're going to be getting to some more of those later on this week. Uh, look for the preview for the Utah game on Thursday morning. Um, as always, follow Doug on Twitter at DouglasTS. Follow myself at QB11SD. Follow the, the show at QB11Show. Um, and, again, thank you for all the support. Thanks for all the, the – like, I've received a lot of people reaching out. Um having some really interesting conversations with duck fans, like always feel free to reach out to both Doug and myself. We love those conversations. 